Chapter Nineteen of His First and Last Appearance by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Nineteen, a chapter of recognition and surprises. Philip decides to remain in Milwaukee, and Isabel gets a gladsome message. Let me look on his face again," said Mister Hammond. His lips and fingers were trembling, and he could scarcely pronounce the words. He took the boy's face between his hands and gazed long and intently into Philip's upturned eyes. "'It is her face, poor Agnes's face,' he said at length in broken tones. "'Is Agnes, is your mother dead, my boy?' "'Yes, sir.' "'You are my own grandchild, little one.' And stooping, he kissed the boy hurriedly and left the box. "'Ah, no wonder I felt a strange attraction for you, my Philip.' said mrs easton your mother and i were always together and and you are so like her my dear so like her so like her philip was astonished but of all those who were in the box he was by far the most composed he was too young to take in all at once the strange and wonderful series of events of coincidences which had at a moment changed the lives and fortunes of all the chances you look so like my mother he said simply and and i like you during all this time jenny had stood gazing transfixed it's better than a play said walter in tones of awe but jenny gave no heed to his remarks say continued walter where do we come in if mrs easton is my aunt and philip is mrs easton's uncle i mean nephew say jenny that boy's mother is mrs easton's sister and mrs easton's sister is our mother's sister say jenny can't you tell a fellow what relation philip is to me he's your cousin walter whoop la yelled walter tumbling over a chair and into philip's arms how do you do cousin philip are you a relation of mine too asked philip now beaming with joy you bet i am answered walter jerking philip's arm with a cordiality that could not be mistaken say walter have i many relations here the woods are full of em cried walter dancing that girl there jenny she's your cousin too jenny not without a certain dignity brushed the effusive walter away to think she said kissing philip that isabel the nicest girl i ever met the girl i fell in love with on sight is my own own cousin oh it's all too good to be true i can't believe it is it really you philip yes it just is answered philip i've been a pinching and a kicking myself and the pinching hurts and so i know it isn't a dream go on and pinch yourself here i'll do it for you no thank you philip was there ever anything like it though it's like a romance and oh it is so beautiful and to think that the little boy the poor little boy without an overcoat into whose pocket i slipped the silver dollar to think that he's my cousin and that isabel my goodness walter I have a mind to drive to the convent and wake up Sister Mary Agnes and tell her the whole story. Philip, cousin Philip, you owe me a dollar. Philip, getting more and more dazed as the facts in the case began to dawn on him, had nestled into Mrs. Easton's arms and was looking up into her tear-stained face. In the body of the theatre, meanwhile, there was no vulgar display of curiosity. The audience prepared to leave as though the performance had come to an end in the usual way. There was much whispering, much wonder, but the conduct of all was unexceptional. From the moment that Philip leaped from the stage, 
poor old himmelstein sat stock still at the piano with his eyes fixed on the private box on seeing the lady after a moment's pause and a few whispered words returned philip's hug with interest himmelstein pulled off his beard with one jerk then he arose and having removed his dark glasses put on his regular spectacles those of the audience who were in the front seats and were waiting for the crowd to thin were all attracted by his strange conduct ladies and gentlemen he said in tones of remorse i am not professor schumann but professor himmelstein i am a willin Gott, get a police i will go to the penitentiary poor fellow he's mad said a voice no no i am not mad i wish i was mad but i am a thief a stealer of a poi and God has visited me. I shall go to jail. A hand was laid on the professor's shoulder. He turned and found himself facing Mr. Dunn. Professor, he said with an air of authority, say nothing but come with me. So, groaned Himmelstein, and together they disappeared through the doorway under the stage. Who is that boy? continued Mr. Dunn, as he conducted the old man up the stairway and behind the scenes. Och, Gott, I know not. One hour ago he was Marian Filippo, all his life before he was Philip Lachance, but now he is somebody else. And who are you? I am Henry Himmelstein, and I stole the poet away to hear once in public the angel voiced, but I am punished. Ah, the death, death and life has come upon me. If I believed not in God, I would now kill myself. Oh, Isabel, my dear Isabel, how may I ever look upon your face, I who have lied to you and deceived you? The professor, as he thus invoked the absent girl, clasped his hands and raised his eyes to heaven in agony. He was beside himself with remorse. They had now reached the little room where Philip and his teacher had spent the evening. As they were just entering, Mr. Hammond came hurrying toward them. "'Oh, John Dunn, John Dunn,' he cried, "'this is the most blessed day of my life. John, that little boy is my grandchild.' "'Wait there,' commanded Mr. Dunn pushing the old professor into the room, with the violence occasioned by the excitement which this announcement produced. And twirling fiercely at his moustache the while, he hurried away. He was in the private box in a moment, and taking the singer from Mrs. Easton's arms, he held him close, looking meanwhile into his eyes. "'Ah, oh, what a fool I was!' he exclaimed. "'Philip, Philip, no wonder your face seems so familiar to me. And yet, how could I have missed it?' yes your mother's lovely eyes her brows her very smile and i could not place it all are you a relation of mine too cried the smiling philip an answer to which mr dunn into whose eyes had come the tears that would not be stayed pressed the boy to his breast and letting him down departed without saying a word why aunt said jenny what in the world is the matter with mr dunn why should he be in such a state of excitement what has Philip to do with him, I should like to know? Well, Jenny, I don't mind telling you now, since it's bound to come out again. Little Philip here has something of a resemblance to Agnes Hammond, his mother. And Philip's mother was the man whom Mr. Dunn was once engaged to marry. Oh, won't I have great news to tell Isabel when I go back to New York, exclaimed Philip. But you're not going back to New York, dear, said Mrs. Easton. Not? Oh, I go to Isabel. Me and the professor start tomorrow. No, Philip, said Mr. Hammond, who, having mastered his emotion, had just entered the box. No, Philip, you will not go to New York. 
Tonight you come home. Home? Yes, my child. Our home is yours, and you and Isabel and the two other little ones are going to gladden the hearts of an old man and an old woman who were once very obstinate and very cruel with their dear daughter Agnes, and who have been doing the penance of the heart ever since. Oh, my God, how good you are to a man who has been proud and headstrong. He turned his face away and bowed his head. Philip stepped over and took his hand. May I call you Grandpa? he asked. Please do, ah, Belle, he added, turning to Mrs. Easton. Think of the joy and light and gladness that are to come into our house. When my wife sees this little boy, this little boy with the sweet angelic features of our dear little girl whom we lost, lost through our own wretched pride, when my wife sees him and hears his voice and is called Grandma, oh, there will be the greatest joy that can be looked for upon earth. But, but I cannot talk. It is too much. Belle, I will go aside and and pray only god is to be spoken to at the time like this john dunn will attend to everything he left the box as he spoke why exclaimed jenny i never knew how much grandpa loved his daughter agnes no dear he wanted no one to know but she was his dearest she was the apple of his eye and since she left milwaukee nineteen years ago he has never spoken of her never allowed her name to be spoken in his presence never gone to church ah and to-night for the first time jenny he acknowledges his own pride and obstinacy for the first time he speaks of god's goodness jenny your dear grandpa is quite overcome and do you think aunt that he will begin to go to church again indeed my dear anything seems possible now now my children let us go the people have all gone away Philip, where are your things? I want to write a letter to Isabel right away, said Philip. Never mind, dear. Mr. Dem will see to that. I suppose he is now talking with your professor. But where are your overcoat and hat? Come along, aunt. They're in one of the dressing rooms. Say, he went on as they passed through a side door near the box and went behind the scenes. You don't think they'll do anything to Professor Himmelstein? He's the nicest old man in the world almost as nice as my grandpa at that very moment mr dunn was treating with the poor professor on leaving philip he had returned to the private dressing-room he found the old musician sitting with bowed head and clasped hands the picture of one who has drunk the cup of life's bitterness to the dregs professor himmelstein he said gravely i have come to thank you for stealing that boy so muttered himmelstein vaguely and looking up with lacklustre eye Yes, Philip Chance and Isabel are no longer poor homeless children. Owing to his appearance here tonight, he has found his grandfather and all the relations of his mother. Philip and all of your little New York friends are now beyond the danger of want and poverty. His first appearance is his last, and they are coming to one of the happiest of homes. Oh, my God, said Himmelstein, rising and catching Mr. Dunn's hands. You make not a mock? You are not deceiving an old man? Indeed, no. Your little ones have found a home and loving relations and friends. God bless you for the love and care you have shown them. It is the hand of God, said the old man, beaming with joy. Ah, Isabel, ah, Philip, now I shall go away and I shall not come back, for I am not worthy. But far away in Waterland I shall think of you night and day, and when I die I shall die happy, because that you, my lovely children, are happy and gay and... and... 
He could say no more. He sank back into his chair and covered his face with his hands. No, Professor, said Mr. Dunn, looking with love upon the old man. You will not go away. Where Isabel and Philip are, there shall you be. Ah, oh, but she will not forgive me. She should not forgive me. I have stolen the poi and have struck the dagger of sorrow into her heart. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for so judging Isabel. It is to you that she will owe the joy of the homecoming. Now, Professor, give me her address in New York, and we shall at once send her a telegram. Oh, what a beautiful Christmas it's going to be for us all. The sound of many feet was heard without. The door was thrown open, and in danced Philip. Ho, oh, Professor, he shouted, running up in high glee. You said I would astonish the audience, and I did, didn't I? Here's my Aunt Belle, and here's Grandpa, and here's Cousin Jenny and Cousin Walter. And, Professor, I've got a lot more relations. He changed his voice and said in tones of awe, Cousin Walter says that the woods are full of them. So, beamed the Professor. Every one shook hands with Himmelstein. Every one had something nice to say. Every one invited him to be a guest. No, he is my guest for the present, put in Mr. Dunn. And now, Philip, put on your things and go home with your relations as fast as you can. That's right, said Philip affably. I haven't had any supper yet. Meantime, the professor and myself will see that Isabel starts for Milwaukee tomorrow morning and is here the night before Christmas. Hurrah! yelled Philip. Oh, but won't it be a Christmas and a half? You can bet your life on it, responded Walter. On the morning of December the 22nd, Isabel, around whose eyes the circles had grown darker, received a letter. On glancing at the envelope, she recognized the handwriting of Professor Himmelstein. She held it unopened in her hands for several minutes. She feared the import of its contents. Finally, she opened the envelope and read what follows. Near Milwaukee, December twentieth, 1899. Dear Isabel, I call you dear, although I have no right, for I have deceived you. I stole Philip away for his voice. I wanted him to sing in public just once, and tonight he will sing one song. He will sing it at about ten o'clock Milwaukee time on December 22nd. Pray that he may do well. Pray that no harm may come to him. I cannot pray. I am too wicked. After the song, we will spend the night here, and then we will come back to New York, and Philip will be with you in time for Christmas. May it be most happy and merry for you. It will not be so for me, for on that day, or on the day before, I shall see my Philip for the last time, and you and I shall not see again never more. It is hard, for I love you, love you and Marie and Charlie. It is hard, but I have dug the grave in which I must lie. Only I pray you not to remember the Professor Himmelstein, who deceived you and stole away your little boy, but to remember the old man who taught Philip and loved him, and who was your true friend, till the devil got into his heart and persuaded him to do a cruel thing. And a wicked thing. God forgive me. I shall not see your face again. God help me. Only pray that Philip may sing well tonight. Pray, pray. It is the only joy I look to in this life. Your unhappy and most unworthy friend, Henry Himmelstein. Ah, oh, dear old man, said Isabel. God knows I forgive you, and God knows I would be only too glad to see your dear old face again. Isabel did not go to bed as early as usual that night. She kept her vigil for the dear little boy who was to face some audience, where she knew not. For the first time. Marie, too, was staying up. 
at half past nine the two went on their knees and began the recital of the rosary to the end that philip might sing well and that no harm might come to their dear little brother they finished the joyful mysteries and were just in the first decade of the sorrowful when there came a rapping at the door a dispatch paid explained the boy to whom she opened it isabel signed her name in the book presented her and then eagerly tore open the dispatch listen marie she said presently philip well and safe at home he has found his relations be ready to start from milwaukee to-morrow morning you are to be home for christmas philip very happy john dunn what what does it mean isabel i don't know my dear but one thing is sure we have received good news philip is happy and we are going home my dear we are going home we are going home and isabel sobbed now marie let us finish our beads she said after she had recovered herself and we shall finish them to thank god for his mercies his mercies that endure for ever rarely did two pure young hearts rise so high on the wings of prayer as did the hearts of isabel and marie on that december night so gloomy so sad but an hour ago but now glorious with hope shortly after their prayers another footstep heavier this time was followed by another knock without come in said isabel a gentleman entered excuse me he said but is this miss isabel the chance yes sir permit me to introduce myself i am mr james leroy an intimate friend of mr dunn of milwaukee he has just wired me to act as his agent in seeing to your being provided with everything you need for your trip to milwaukee how kind of him i hope you will excuse my intruding on you at so unseasonable an hour but i thought i should come at once to tell you that to-morrow morning i will call for you with a carriage and tickets and sleeper and-and is there anything you could wish no thank you sir it is very good of you to take so much trouble for us oh not at all mr dunn's friends are mine and what i do for you will be a pleasure now be sure to be ready in the morning mr dunn says that money is no object have have you everything you need thank you yes sir well good night you will reach milwaukee on the afternoon of december the twenty-fourth isabel had a beautiful dream that night angels were flying through a sky sun with stars and as they flew she heard them singing you are going home going home going home when she awoke she was smiling but there was a tear upon her eyelash end of chapter nineteen